Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studio. Today I'm joined with Aspie comic Michael McRae. He's also an actor, he's also an author, and he's also a TEDx speaker. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage because this should be one funny show. So see you there. That's better. to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studio. Today I'm joined with Michael McCree, Aspie comic, actor, TEDx host, and much, much more. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, Reed. Glad to be on the show. And I'm so sorry to interrupt you. My last name is actually McCreary. It's a, it's a bit of a tough one, actually. Yeah, no, the first time I ever did... Yeah, the first time I ever did a, a radio show called Accent on Toronto, I remember uh, Martha Chavez, this great com- Canadian comic, uh, introduced me. And... Uh, he said, uh, like, uh, now introducing Michael, Mc- uh, Michael, I'm so sorry. And that was the introduction that I got. So don't, you, you did a lot better than me. All right. What got you in the comedy? Well, uh, when I was in grade eight, uh, I was, uh, struggling with a lot of, uh, uh, I was struggling with a lot of my classes. Uh, I wasn't like, I wasn't bad at applying myself, but I was just, I, I just wasn't good. Just things weren't clicking, you know, uh, a square peg round hole or whatever so uh my folks were looking into some kind of extracurricular activities that i could perhaps take just to give me a little bit of hope so they stumbled upon this one called the stand up for mental health program that was operating at a guelph and uh predominant uh they dealt predominantly with people uh, with like psychological disorders as opposed to neurological variations so they didn't really take people with like autism uh, like oh, uh, uh, and stuff like that, like ADHD, Down syndrome, stuff like that. Were uh, I was sort of a special case uh, uh, that they uh, that they let me in uh, because they were they were impressed with my audition. So uh, they let me in. Uh, David Granier, the guy running the program, taught me everything I know. Now uh, we performed after about a uh, two months worth of uh, classes, workshop stuff, and uh, and uh, after that, I just I took to it. I just kept performing, finding venues where I could perform or wherever people would have me. I think when I was uh, halfway through high school, I got my first gig with like the, uh, uh, with the, uh, out in Halifax where, uh, an autism organization asked me if I could uh, do 10 minutes and they were going to pay me for it. So I went, sure. Awesome. So the, uh, when I realized that this was actually, this wasn't just a hobby, this was something that I could do. Uh, like I, I, uh, my ears perked up, so I, I stuck with it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I hope that wasn't too boring or no. Uh, no that's very interesting, actually. Now, Excellent. would you would you consider yourself the class clown? Uh, I wasn't really. No, I, I was um, usually whenever like I was in in a class, I was so anxious about whatever it was, the whatever the immediate task was, I couldn't even think about jokes at that time. You know, I was uh, mm-hmm. I, I was the kid who um, would always have like his nose in a book because he was just trying to like 
retain information and stuff wasn't sticking. And of course, I'm the one that the teacher is like, Michael, are you following this? And it's like, yeah, I am more than everyone else. I'm just uh, I'm hanging in there. Uh, like I, I was a pretty uh, I was a quiet kid. All right. Now, what issues do you face on a day to day basis dealing with your own autism? Uh, sure. Well, uh, I'm really lucky because my folks uh, from uh, from a very young age uh, helped me uh, procure like an independent education plan. So I was able to really tailor my school experiences to uh, uh, to my ASD. So uh, usually what I would struggle with in a classroom environment uh, wasn't the nerves of public speaking or talking in front of people. It was the issue of stimuli, right? It was like mm-hmm. be, being forced to focus on one thing and being unable to do so because there are other people around you holding focus. Uh, uh, this is where stims become incredibly useful, right? Because you're like, okay, if the world is changing around me, I can always come back to a stim. Like if uh, if I'm in a restaurant and I'm trying to focus on the person in front of me, but there's all sorts of clatter and chatter going on uh, around me, or I can see stuff happening in my peripheral vision, I can have a stim to create a constant that I, that I, that I can sort of come back to, if that makes sense. So usually that's the stuff that I experience on the daily is just trying to uh, – maintain a sense of focus or uh, uh, prevent a kind of executive dysfunction or a breakdown in motor skills, right? Uh, by, by having things pull focus. Like uh, usually that's the stuff that I'm, uh, uh, that I'm trying to work around, but it's, uh, I, I've gotten a lot better at that. So, so I'm doing okay. Right. Do you have any great stories you can share with us about your time doing stand up or anything? Um, Oh man, I'm, uh, the sad thing about it is I usually, uh, I, I'm really boring because I'm just, uh, I'm, uh, I'm really workmanlike. So just, uh, I show up early. I, uh, I do my set. Uh, I like to make, uh, I like to talk to the other comics on the show. I like to talk to people afterwards specifically, because usually there's a couple of people in the audience that are really keen on, uh, uh, talking to the one autistic guy in the show, because usually they are either on the spectrum or they know someone and they have a story that they want to share. And that's always great. I, I'm so sorry. I'm so boring when it comes to like the shows themselves are kind of unremarkable when you're sort of like, not that the show is bad. The shows are fun. Like I love doing them, but it's just like, Oh, it's the same thing. Like I, I know what I'm going to do. The material will always be different, but, uh, you're, uh, you're always, uh, like, uh, you, you, you hope that the show is unremarkable because, uh, if something goes wrong, then you're in trouble. I'll tell you one story. Uh, about the uh, worst show I've ever done. It okay. was uh, it was in North York. It was for an autism related organization, I think, uh, and they were doing some kind of an office. Uh, they they were doing sort of a benefit with all of their donors and whatnot. And uh, it was a very well uh, produced show. Like it was a uh, it was big. There was a lot of people there, big numbers. I it was a I it was around Christmas time. So uh, in Southern Ontario. I'm mm-hmm. sure you get this because you're coming from Chicago, right? In the yeah. Midwest. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, you guys get winter pretty bad, right? So Yeah, we uh, got lucky this year around, yeah. Okay, sure. Well in uh in uh we didn't get lucky in uh in Toronto that year. So really uh we were we were hoping to get on by about eight o'clock and the program it said Michael McCreary's gonna go on at eight o'clock to about an hour or the stand up forty five minutes to an hour. And uh and then the hope was we would get out of there to beat the snowstorm and drive back to where uh drive back to my home. And uh, I didn't go on till about 
11 o'clock and by that point everyone was thoroughly sloshed like they were everyone was about like two dozen drinks in which you want people to have a couple drinks in because it gets people loose it gets people being a little bit more honest Mm -hmm. uh more comfortable laughing at jokes than eyes rigid but uh but not uh, you don't want people you don't want to kill them right so uh so they're really uh everyone was really like struggling to keep up with things uh before I go on, the second before I go on, the MC passes me the mic and whispers in my ear, uh, there's about a thousand people out there, maybe a hundred of them speak English. Oh. And so that was that was my night. And then oh, uh, and then I almost died on the ride home. So right. uh, like that's the that's the that's the worst show I can think about. But uh, everything else uh, like has been generally fun. Would you consider your humor your hyper focus? I mean, like, uh, I, I wouldn't say that uh, stand-up is my special interest, but I would say it's a great, it, like, it, it does keep my perspective focused because, uh, uh, I mean, every stand-up is struggling with the uh, with the knowledge that they have to distinguish themselves from other stand-ups, right? Because everyone, mm-hmm. like, everyone has observations that are fairly universal, fairly evergreen, and you're trying to find a way to uh, make your uh, make yourself clear as an individual. Uh, what distinguishes you from the uh, from the other like uh, million comic? So uh, usually I like to use stand up as a forum to disclose my special interest because so long as you can make it funny, it is probably the only place where an autistic guy will be allowed to talk about the thing that he wants to for an hour and people <laughs> will listen. Yeah. So that's uh, that's that's I usually see it as more like a vessel for the special interest rather than the special interest itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, that kind of does. Do you have any favorite comics yourself? Yes. Uh, uh, Norm McDonald, who just passed away, was one of my favorites. Uh, mm. Like, I always really loved him because uh, uh, Norm was always fun because I loved his stand-up, but I really loved him whenever he would do a guest spot on another show because, obviously, the premise of, like, a talk show is to prop up the guests. Like, the they're the attraction. You come here to see this guy. But Norm could take anything and make it the Norm McDonald show. Like, he did the... Uh, I think it was. Uh, I don't know. I don't think they ever did it again. But he did the YouTube Comedy Awards where he was co-emceeing with a with Jenny Slate and just some YouTube guy. I don't know. And uh, he was amazing. Like he just turned it into like a like a three hour Norm Macdonald show. And uh, he was so fearless and uh, fun to watch. So he's great. And I love Anthony Jesselman because uh, 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 like 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 obviously Norm Macdonald loved gallows humor. Uh, Anthony Jesselnick like. Uh, uh, what I think made him sort of exceptional was just how tight his jokes were because like, he's a one liner comp, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it, I, I think he's very aware that it, that the syntax, like the structure of, of a sentence in a, in, in like a dead baby joke is absolutely integral to, to uh, getting the audience on board. And if that structure isn't there, then you're just a, you're just a creep talking about uh things no one wants to talk about and i think that is uh he's done an incredible magic trick which is uh uh his is his joke craft is so crisp and so tight and a lot of that just comes from years of working on like late night shows like jimmy fallon where he's just used to being in a writer's room and just pumping out like like hundreds of jokes a day so for him his work ethic is just so good and i I think he really primes himself on just getting getting things down to as few words as possible and when it's just that quick and it's just uh 
Uh, and it's just that clean. People uh, don't even have time to register the fact that they might have laughed at something that uh, they typically wouldn't. So uh, it's not the kind of stuff that I usually do or even usually seek out, but he's just so good at what he does that he's really hypnotic to watch. Yeah. What was your what was it like consulting for a TV show? I mean, did you able were you able to meet the stars and schmooze with them? Yeah, I, you know, I didn't get to talk to the yeah. So that was a CBS show called Ransom. It was like a it was a procedural, like a cop show. So uh, obviously, as the name would imply, it's about the guy that goes in and uh, negotiates for the freedom of hostages. Uh, in this episode, the guy being held hostage was on the spectrum. And I feel terrible. I just forgot the actor's name. He played Spider-Man uh, on on one of the runs of the uh, mm-hmm. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark musical. Really nice guy and a really good performer. Uh, that was kind of odd because uh, not him being nice or being good at his job. That's to be expected. I mean, uh, that entire experience of, uh, of uh, consulting was sort of weird because – it's not that there was a communication breakdown, but I was given uh, – I was really lucky. I was given the opportunity to come on in and uh, and talk to him, and he was really great. And really, I just went into a room with him for like about an hour and 90 minutes, and he just wanted me to get a read on his characterization and the functionality of his character within the script to make sure he wasn't stepping on any toes. And if there was something he could disclose to a writer or a director uh, – to make sure that this was authentic. And Mm. I'm usually pretty lenient when it comes to that kind of stuff, because obviously autism is a spectrum and uh, you're like, okay, well the difficult and uh, you're going, okay, I understand that this is potentially one person's experience with ASD and that's being uh, transposed into this character. But, uh, but you're also aware of the fact that there really isn't much in the way of variety when it comes to uh, depictions of ASD. So it, it's kind of tough to hide behind the defense of, uh, of this is a spectrum when that spectrum isn't necessarily being represented. So I thought he was really thoughtful for being mindful of that. And the tough thing is in, te- right. in television, there's such a quick turnover rate from the writer's room to, uh, to uh to the crew to go film that uh once something's locked in there's not really much you can do so like if you needed me to be in there uh to 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 consult i i like uh, probably the most useful thing you could do is to have a self-advocacy network in there for for the writer's room before they've gone on to anything like that but uh but other shows have been doing that subsequent like i think i think uh sesame street did that briefly uh yeah, I remember uh, with, they had a uh, one of the puppets was on the spectrum. Yeah, and so they had in uh, members of the uh, self advocacy network in there, which was a uh, uh, which was a pretty big deal. I, I don't know if they're still using them to consult on the show. I understand there was a bit of a falling out there, but I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. Uh, uh, but no, ransom was interesting because that was uh, just me getting a glimpse behind the curtain of just. Uh, uh, of sort of the whistles and bells of, uh, and let me see if I can list off other cliches. Just working on a show. Uh, uh, they reached out by phone. Like they just, uh, like, I, I think they went to my website and uh, they, 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 uh, they emailed me and wow. they said, would you be for your phone call? And I said, sure. And then they, they, they picked my brain. And uh, I think it was probably, uh, uh, a little bit pragmatic on their part because uh, 
Uh, when they're saying we want an ambassador from the autism community, I'm not exactly Temple Grand, and I'm. Uh, they were just like, who's closest to Toronto? <laughs> and, uh, so they were. I think they were pretty. Uh, they were pretty uh, generous in that. And uh, and uh, how they uh, got me to be a part of it, but uh, uh, no, it was uh, it was interesting. Yeah. Um, now, what was it like for you giving a TEDx speech? I mean, that had to be. Where did you give it first of all? Because I know TEDx uh, yeah. is local. Sure, that was at world. York U. Sure, that was at York University, uh, in like the north part of Toronto or the Greater Toronto area. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was interesting. I um, like they they really said, "Hey, can you just do your stand up show?" But, <laughs> uh, but 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 just incorporate. But I don't know. Find a ra- the correct ratio of jokes to uh, uh, to um, like uh, stats and facts. Uh, and I don't normally do slides in my presentation and stuff. So my mom was uh, so I kind of brought her in because she likes to. Uh, dabble in uh, graphic design and I know that's a terrible cliche when people go so-and-so's into graphic design and you just see like the church pamphlets with like the joker man font <laughs> on them <laughs> that's uh that that's not my mom she was great so I, I was like hey I uh I, I I'm not usually used to this kind of a like this kind of a oration uh can you help me out here so she was uh she was good in coming in and helping me out with that so I could just worry about the stand-up facet and uh, speak <laughs> And, and speaking facets of it, and she uh, helped me out with that. She's a, she's a great collaborator, and I always love when she's willing to kind of sit in and help me out with something. Uh, that was one of the last things we really collaborated on. But it was a fun day. Like my, uh, like again, just uh, my folks drove me in, and I did the show. And uh, I'm just so boring. I'm sorry. Like it's just a, <laughs> if, if, uh, the most interesting thing about the TED Talk is the thing itself. Everything around it was just no. Everyone was nice. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Weiss was lovely to talk to. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I'm just, I'm real boring when it comes to talking about behind the scenes stuff. So they contacted you. You didn't actually apply for the TED Talk. I've been super lucky, Reed. Uh, this is why my story is unbelievably dull is because everyone has reached out to me. Like someone will just see me doing stand up somewhere and they'll go, hey, we like what you're doing. Could you try and fit your show into these very specific parameters and i go okay and then that's the story (laughs) so that's uh that's the story there that's the story with uh my show with chris hadfield's uh generator show Uh, that's the story with how i got the book done was anik i think saw a couple of uh uh the uh uh like the uh the key players at anik saw me uh do accent in toronto at uh uh, at uh, the Danforth Music Hall, and from that they said, "Oh wow, okay, let's uh, let's uh, let's see, like this guy's on our radar now. Let's uh, let's uh, have a conversation." So, uh, like, I love working with people, and I really love doing the thing that I do. But actually, relaying it, I feel bad because it's not that I'm uncomfortable disclosing it; it's that I'm going, "God, I'm sorry, Reed. I am a nightmare guest." Because you're like, "Yeah, we're, we got to fill 30 minutes," and I'm like, "That's gonna be you, buddy. You gotta, <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta." You're going to have to drag me across the finish line. <laughs> All, right. All right. What kind of success did you get from your book? Mm. What kind of, well, ec- it was really a lot of accolades and everything. People coming up to you and saying your book. Was yeah. I was shortlisted on a couple of, uh, on a couple of readers lists, like, uh, re- uh, not readers choice, but like some critics choice, uh, lists. And, uh, uh, that was really cool. Uh, 
oh my God, I wish I had the thing in front of me. Cause I mean, uh, obviously uh, the book came out in, in around, like uh, in 2019, I think is when it went to print 2019 or yeah, 2019. And so, yeah, August of 2019, I think I could be wrong. So that was in and around the time that uh, uh, we were uh, uh, coming up. Uh, we were scraping up against lockdown in uh, the yeah. early, uh, early 2020. Nice. So uh, I, the, all the benefits that I was able to reap from, uh, from this, uh, which were like uh, kind of like the accolades and stuff, unfortunately, it was kind of like it was just sort of an email <laughs> Or a zoom in kind of thing going like, Hey, yeah. uh, good job. And I go, Hey, thanks, man. And that's it's, it's fun because it, I actually kind of like that because it sort of demystifies the idea of like, Oh, this is a big deal. You know, this thing comes out, you get an award, this and that. And it's like, I guess it's just a thing on a plaque, you know, and that's not a bad thing. It's like, Oh, that's really cool. That's fun. And uh, it doesn't need to be this big, scary thing that puts you up on a pedestal. So uh, that's, that's been me with that. Uh, the book's been great just because a lot of people have been sort of reaching out and just saying, hey, I really uh, I really identified with your story and I really liked it. And they share their story. And uh, I'm always moved by that. That's nice. Uh, I'm really thankful about the book because uh, I, uh, I was able to get my foot in the door uh, with uh, sci-fi. A couple of people reached out to me from the sci-fi network and said, hey, we're casting for – show one of our writers uh picked up a copy of your book and was intrigued uh because you said you do uh performing like acting and public speaking and such would you like to would you like to audition for us so i mean without the book that would have never happened and that was uh <laughs> and that was really cool so uh love doing that that show is called astrid and lily save the world by the way you can find that i think on the sci-fi network in the states wednesday nights at 10 uh, if you're in Canada, you can catch it on Crave.ca, CTV, Sci-Fi, I believe CTV-Sci-Fi. But uh, sorry for that shameless plug. No, it's all uh, right. That's probably that's one of the coolest things to come out of all this. Is I'm like, wow, I'm on TV. That's fun. So yeah, I mean, that, uh, that I enjoyed leads, that. That leads me to my next question: Is what was it like acting on a show? Sure. Uh, I I've never I, I did some I did a lot of background work on. Uh, Degrassi, which is uh, a very fan, uh, polite way of saying I was an extra. So, like, I, I was, I've been in around, on and around sets uh, all throughout high school, but I was never a principal. I never had dialogue. So, uh, I was always, I always loved going in and seeing this really impressive set and looking at how people do things, but I was always getting ex- exclusively, I was seeing everything exclusively through the lens of, uh, a background performer so you know you talk to the uh, fourth ad i think is the one that is sort of the liaison between the director and the background so uh usually that was it it was just me uh talking to that go between and they were always friendly and polite but uh you know uh you don't really learn too much there uh acting in television is interesting because uh in stand-up you know there's not so much rigidity you can really move around uh, sort of it, uh, the the joy of doing stand up or acting on stage is that uh, you know there's the intimacy of occupying the same space as people, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in in television, obviously the difference is you're you're acting uh, like you're incredible. One, you're incredibly subdued. You can't play out, or you're going to eat the camera. So you. Uh, you, 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 you got to rein it in so that they actually have something usable and something that people can relate to. And the tough thing is that you're just so mindful of the fact 
that people are going to see this at that point. You kind of get in your own head and you got to try and get out of that. Because when you're uh, when you're on stage, the fearlessness comes from the fact that it's like the only people seeing this are here. And this is our little secret. And that's fine. And then uh, and then when you're in TV, there's like that that level of permanence there gets you really self-conscious. So the good news was uh, the cast and crew on Astrid and Lily were just nothing but gracious and patient. And so uh, for someone like me, who was relatively new to that kind of acting and, and television, they were all really good at being like, no, you're, you're doing good. Like just hang in there. Uh, like better than that. Like it was, it, I took to it pretty quick because I went, okay, you know, you just gotta, you gotta play it for the person opposite you. You gotta play it for the people that are here and uh, uh, just uh, shut up and do your job. So that was kind of it. So I, uh, I, I, I ended up really loving it. You know, I was nervous at first, uh, but it was uh, it ended up being really good. Now, let's circle back for a minute about about writing your book. Did you have any issues of your own, like dealing with not with the first draft, with not always auto correcting yourself? Yeah, of course. It's a you know, there's a really great quote from Schwartzwald, one of the great writers on The Simpsons, where he said, "Writing is hard, uh, editing is easy." So just Crap something out, and then you will have no trouble at all going, oh, this would be better if this was here. This would be better if this was here, you know? So uh, I didn't crap something out. I was, as you said, incredibly self-conscious as I was writing it. And uh, the tough thing about writing it, too, is that uh, in stand-up, so long as you meet the quota of stage time, like say you're on for anywhere between five minutes, to an hour so long as you do that you're fine uh like the jokes can be any length uh and you take as long as you need to to tell a story but at anik you know they said okay we need like we need a very particular page number not exactly like 200 or 300 on the button but you know close so there is that pressure to just uh, i'm so sorry reed uh, I took an antihistamine earlier, so I'm a little bit drowsy. It's not your fault at all. I'm really enjoying this, but I'm just, uh, that's the side effect of the uh, allergy med. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the trade-off is that you're like, okay, you got all the space to fill and the space to play in, but then you're kind of like, do I have enough to fill in here? Because the story that they tapped me to write was an autobiographical one. They wanted me to tell about how I got into stand-up and mm. as uh, if there's any evidence of how hard it's been me trying to think of stories to tell Reed over the course of a 20 to 30 minute interview, <laughs> you can only imagine how hard it was writing this book over the course of about half a year. So yeah. I would say it's like when, when it's about yourself, you're just kind of like, man, how do I, I just want to, it's like, you're not even worried about making yourself look like a dick. You're just worried about getting something <laughs> on paper. <laughs> you're just like, God, I need something. So, uh, so Anik was unbelievably gracious. And my editor, uh, and my editor, uh, Paula Ayer was just tremendous and, uh, tremendously patient with me, uh, meeting those deadlines and doing what needed to do to be done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the reason I ask is I'm writing a book about my experiences. I mean, I have done a lot. I mean, you and I have both done a lot for being athletes. I've literally gone across the country to school for my master's degree. I've traveled. Congratulations. Across, thank you. I've traveled across Europe on my own, six different countries. 
I started a blog. I started my podcast. And my mom was like, you need to share this with the world. And then every my everyone saying you gotta write a book about your about your life. And it's hard because I sit there when I'm typing and all of a sudden every little mistake, I'm always going back and right correcting. And I'm like, just write, don't correct. Yeah, remember that Schwartzwald quote. It was uh, when I heard that it was incredibly useful. So just crap it, just crap it out and then correct it later. Exactly. Just, uh, just yeah, you, you need raw material so you can cut. I mean, as a hobby, I really love editing. Uh, like uh, when I'm helping out some friends doing some editing stuff for, for like say, uh, uh, videos or shorts or uh, uh, recordings, like audio recordings. Because to me, I'm like, great. I'm just working from the raw materials, and I'm finding, like, I'm 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 constructing something from that, and it. That comes really naturally. So it's just, you just got to go, okay, you got to do that, but you got to make the thing first so you can fix it. And that's always tough. So what's a day in a life? What's a day in a life like for you? I, um, I like to give myself a pretty rigid schedule every day because uh, uh, it, it, if you don't have those routines, every day starts to melt together and you just sleep away your life. Uh, like I work freelance and when I do work, it's usually at night or for it's for it's for regular hours. So when I'm not doing stand up and I'm not writing, I like to hold myself to the discipline of, OK, you get up every day between eight and nine a.m. And then from there uh, for hourly blocks from basically 10 to five o'clock, you are working on a series of small tasks, each one taking anywhere between half an hour to 90 minutes. And by the end of a year, you find yourself that you've done a lot uh, of multiple things. So you, you just uh, you keep yourself preoccupied with all sorts of tasks um, so that you actually have raw material to work from when you're doing your art. I mean, if you're if you're all you're doing is the art, then you're not living life and drawing upon that to inform your art. And then it's uh, and then it's uh, it's it's boring right so uh, it's always good to uh to keep yourself sharp by uh by uh by learning new things and taking to new things and meeting new people and i mean uh, that's tough for a lot of people during covid because a lot of people are either completely alienated because the only thing that they're permitted to do is is work like mm-hmm. be it at home or in a or in a big box store in service stuff like that and it, it it's tough because everyone already struggles with the fact that a lot of your relationships are transactional in nature. And now it's become so unbelievably literal in that transaction, like when it comes to transactional relationships. So uh, I'm, I've been incredibly lucky in that I was able to find a niche that worked out for me where I'm able to, uh, to, to keep myself preoccupied with these other things because uh, I have a lot of friends and a lot of friends on the spectrum that are struggling right now with that, uh, with the uh, the tedium of of that kind of work, like in service, you know I mean? I, that's not I mean, their fault. It's just all that's available. No, no. I mean, I feel the same way. I could not find work whatsoever, so I made my own. But it's it's not just that. It's keeping to your own schedule. Yeah, it's trying to have that schedule so where you fit it. You know what you're doing every every minute, every hour of the day, and you got to hold yourself accountable to it. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, um, 
do you have any sensory issues? Uh, I used to have some pretty severe ones when it came to tactility uh, and sound. Uh, I talk about this in my book a little bit at the beginning. What I hated uh, when I was a kid was a lack of consistency when it came to being like, like when it just came to like t-shirts and shorts and stuff. To Mm -hmm. me, I could only wear long pants and uh, long sleeve shirts just because the difference in sensory information from the exposed skin and the unexposed skin was sending mixed messages to my brain and I couldn't do anything. I would like cease up uh, like a, like a car that needs oil, an oil job. And so that was, uh, that was the big one. And the other one was sound, not because loud noises bug me, but the disruption of a consistent room tone bug me. So when I was a kid, I would usually sleep with a noisemaker to prevent mm. the, uh, like uh, to prevent that inconsistency. So those were the two big things. But again, I was really lucky because my parents in Ontario were sort of at the vanguard of a lot of the uh, like uh, a lot of the uh, parent advocacy groups. So they were very quickly into the idea of like, okay, I just got to I got to help my kid and uh, not in a way that makes him necessarily have to conform to the world to the uh, to the world entire, uh, but uh, in a way that actually better accommodates him and his needs. So it's like, okay, well, if he just likes wearing the long sleeve things, then we'll just wear the long sleeve things. Like they were concessions that didn't require much in the way of uh, detours. So my folks were more than willing to accommodate that. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have any other interests? Yeah. Movies. I love movies. I uh, like uh, usually at the end of the day, I like to keep myself uh it's so this is this part's just lame is that for the i uh, sorry or this part's just uh uh when i uh when i was uh when i was younger uh, i'm sorry uh all, like all i would do is just watch movies i would just i just purely for the sake of consumption it was the 1001 movies less like i wasn't actually taking in the meaning or anything from a from text i was just consuming and that wasn't really getting me anywhere and i wasn't really enjoying stuff so uh, usually the hobbies that I structure my day around uh, include a lot of the social sciences. So like history, psychology, philosophy, politics, because I want to contextualize the stuff that I'm that I'm engaging with so that I can get a fuller understanding of not only the form of uh, of art, but like the uh, but usually the the world that informed or the culture that informed the form. So uh like I love movies and I loved using movies uh, initially as a gateway to learn about the rest of the world, but instead it became using these other, these other uh, subjects to learn more about movies. So it uh, kind of inverted itself. I uh, usually at the end of every day, it's like, not only do I structure uh, uh, the work that I'm doing, I, I even structure my hobbies. So I'm not like, just sitting in front of a TV and my eyes are turning square after a while. Like I, uh, I like to keep at it just with all sorts of stuff that I haven't gone into. So I like to, it's like, okay, I allocate a period where I'm reading. I allocate a period where I'm listening to stuff and listening to stuff outside of my comfort zone, uh, just to broaden my, my tastes and all that. Uh, uh, I never really played video games. So, uh, usually I, I, I find some period to just, learn about stuff that I've never learned about or gotten into. And that's really fun. So, I mean, when it comes to special interests, I'm, I, here's the thing that I usually like to do. I like to get into things that I've had no interest in, but I have a friend who's really interested in is like, Hey, do you want to go see wrestling? Do you want to go see this band that you don't know about? I love that. I live vicariously through my friends, special interests. So I usually, (laughs) 
that's that's usually what I like to do. But uh, obviously, that's been tough to do during COVID. But uh, before mm-hmm. that, that's usually how I'd like to live. Now, what advice would you give to those who are finding out they have ASD now? All right. Well, uh, uh, first of all, you're not alone. So uh, if anything, take solace in the knowledge that uh, there are and now like people are initially worried about having like a label because they're worried that that's just going to be their personality, like their ego is going to be tethered to that for the rest of their life. And you don't need to worry about that because um, when I think of a diagnosis, I don't think of it as the definition of you. I think about it as like, okay, a psychiatrist threw a dart on a neurological map, and this is just the general area where the dart landed. So don't worry. This doesn't define you. This is just a a part of your personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is um, now that you actually have a diagnosis, uh, there is innumerable opportunities for resources and uh, community supports like other people within the autism community or allies of the autism community that are willing to stick their neck out for you to get uh, you the help that you need. So uh, it, it can only get better from here now that you have that sense of clarity. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's, that's my thought on it. Uh, I hope that helps. It does. I mean, because I've run across a lot of people in my time and a lot of people out there are just afraid to use to get the diagnosis because they're afraid it's going to define them of who they are. They don't like the term disability. They don't like the word autism. They don't like the word Asperger's. It's people. People just got to realize once you get diagnosed, that's when you get the help. Otherwise, you're stuck. Yeah. Well, anywho, uh, Rita, I don't know if you have any more questions. This has been a lot of fun. I got three more. Sure. Okay. Anyway, what do you like more, acting or doing your comedy? That's tough because uh, getting into acting now, I'm not Laurence Olivier, but I'm actually loving it because I feel like uh, interpreting other people's material is really fun. And uh like uh, even when you're doing something as silly, like uh, Astrid and Lily is a deeply silly show. Don't get me wrong, but it's fun. It's a sort of a monster of the week type show mm-hmm. uh, for teenage for a teenage audience, I believe. And it's a uh, uh, like it's funny about when you're sort of uh, you're interpreting a neurotypical writers or not necessarily a neurotypical, but someone that isn't openly identifying themselves as as, as autistic. <laughs> Uh, there you're interpreting another person's interpretation of of ASD, and that's always kind of fun because there's a bit of a broken telephone there. So you're going, okay, uh, how can I make this as true to me as possible within the parameters that I've been given? So that's always a, an interesting sort of challenge. Uh, so uh, I've I've really taken acting just because that's kind of fun, but I do like stand up because you have so much more agency, like mm-hmm. you. It, you are kind of the cat um like if you're producing your own show then you're the captain of your own ship so really you can uh you can really establish the rules of your show in a way that uh, you don't get to uh, in acting because oftentimes in acting like unless again you are producing your own content you are uh you're sort of at the uh the mercy of the uh the writer director etc 
uh, which is fine, you know, because I mean, I, I was really glad to work with people that I really love working with that were even open to making some uh, some. of uh, what I felt would ring more authentic to me. Uh, that was a, that's the other tough thing is that when you're acting uh, and you're an autistic guy playing an autistic character, there is sort of a pressure to create uh, a textbook definition of autism that will please everyone. And that's impossible because it's so vast, right? Uh, Steve, insert Stephen Shore quote here. Like you, uh, um, I like, it's tough when you're 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 tasked with something where you need to uphold uh, a kind of role model like sensibility when it comes to your version of ASD because I mean everyone's different, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like I, uh, I I think you should probably start with a character first before you start with like a, a list of diagnostic criteria to tick off. Uh, most of the characters that I tend to identify with in uh, popular culture are not canonically on the spectrum. My identification with them is by happenstance, but that's how art's supposed to work. You don't, uh, you make art for you and you hope other people relate to it. And, like that's usually the, the way that I find it goes. Um, I, I got off really, uh, Sorry, I got off to- uh, off topic there. Uh, Reed, you have two other. Uh, I got one uh, last question, actually. Sure, please. Where can people find more about you? Yes, uh, you can find out more about me at www.aspicomic.com. Uh, Michael McCreary hyphen uh, funny you don't look autistic. That's the title of my book. Uh, but I mean, sorry that, but it's also the uh, the uh, Facebook page. Go to Facebook, type in Michael McCreary hyphen funny you don't look autistic. You'll find me. Uh, that's where you can find me if, if you're looking for me. Uh, Reed, thank you so much for having me on the show. Not a problem. How I miss the way things used to be. I'm no big fan of now I must have some sweeter memories Somewhere in the cloud Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Welcome to the new normal Shout Welcome to the new normal Gonna miss all you used to be Gonna miss all you had Consigned to the dustbins of history Like opinions from your dead Thank you.
talk to the freaks. You can talk to just about anybody you happen to meet. It ain't what it was and it is what it is. 